happy Friday out there. Welcome into Wild Card Sports with Will. Hope everybody's doing great out there, having a good Friday. We have got a great show ahead of us today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Rockets, of course, winning 17 straight now. Uh, some interesting Astros news. Looks like we got the next big prospect coming up for the Houston Astros uh, as well. It looks like LeBron James has narrowed his choice down to four teams in free agency for next year, or at least it looks like a, that at this point. So we got a great show ahead of us. Got a lot of stuff to talk about. So we'll jump right in. Uh, Houston Rockets, of course, coming off their 110-99 win over the Bucks on Wednesday. Uh, of course, that was their. 17th straight win, and they are now 34-1 and with Clint Capella, James Harden, and Chris Paul in the lineup. Guys, this is this is really turning into it really turning into something special. We already knew, of course, with their multi-game winning streak earlier in the year where I think they had 15, and this is their second with uh, 15-plus game win streak on the year, which I think only six or seven teams have done in the history of the NBA. So the thing that's special to me watching this past week this this is probably their most impressive stretch, in my opinion. This past week, they've had three wins over legitimate playoff teams with wins over the Boston Celtics, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Those are three of their most impressive wins in a row that I think I've seen all year. Of course, Boston Celtics right now are number three in the East, and then, of course, OKC with three legitimate superstars in Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, and Paul George. But the Rockets, they shut all those guys down, not to mention the Bucks' Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is third in the league in scoring right now at 27 points a game. The Rockets, I, I, at this point, I'm not sure they're going to lose another game for the rest of the regular season. Now, tonight is going to be the toughest game that they have left on their regular season. Uh, tonight, they're going to be in Toronto against the Eastern Conference-leading Toronto, uh, Toronto Raptors and... This is starting. To, this is starting to look like this might be a possible finals matchup. Um, you know, Toronto's ability and to perform in the playoffs has been a little bit suspect in the past, but this is a different year. This is a different year for the East, and this is a different Toronto Raptors team. Of course, they're highlighted by their two superstars, Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan. But the thing that's different about them this year is that Demar Demar Derozan has really figured out how to shoot the three point shot. As well, their bench, they're getting almost 40, or over 40 points a game from guys that we've never even heard of. But this Toronto Raptors team looks to be the most legitimate, complete team in the Eastern Conference. And tonight, you might be getting a finals preview. And as far as, as, far as the Rockets go, they, of course, are going for 18 straight tonight. And if they can pull that off, their schedule is really looking easy, at least for the rest of the month. Uh, they do have a few games left where they're going to have to play against Oklahoma City again. Uh, they will see the San Antonio Spurs. But overall, this, this was the toughest stretch. This whole week is the toughest stretch of games that the Rockets have left on their schedule. And so far, they're undefeated with 17 straight. Now, of course, uh, the Rockets during this stretch, the thing that's most impressive to me, of course, they've got 17 straight going for 18. 12 of their 17 wins, uh, 12 of their 17 wins in a row are against teams that are 500 or better. So they are beating playoff teams. They are, this is not some type of fluke. Of course, we remember, I believe it was 2007-2008 season where the Rockets set a franchise record 22 straight wins. Uh, but the fact is, during that stretch, they really did not face a whole lot of good teams back then. Uh, their streak their streak was ended by the Boston Celtics, and uh, the Celtics actually blew them out in that game. And th but this Rockets team, this Rockets team, 
is is probably the best on paper that they've ever had. Uh, you know, we've talked about it in the past. Of course, fifty-one and thirteen is the best is the best mark or record mark that they've had in franchise history to this point. So, you know, what makes this Rockets team different is that they are they're really clicking on all cylinders on both sides of the ball. You know, last year, of course, the Rockets the Rockets were arguably the best offensive team in basketball. Uh, really, the only competition they had, as far as that goes, was the Golden State Warriors. But at this point, they have a top ten offense and they have a top ten defense, which is really setting them apart from the rest of the league because. Their defensive efficiency, you know, especially with the additions of P.J. Tucker and Luke Baumute, has really set this team apart. You know, uh, of course, as far as far as the NBA goes, they are averaging the best dif- point differential uh, d- differential in the NBA, which essentially means that they're beating teams by more points than anybody else. They're they're beating teams by an average of eight point nine points a game. And I believe the Warriors are second closest in that differential, but they're I think they're sitting you know south of eight point five points uh, point differential um, as far as that goes. So I mean the Rockets this year are really really starting to you know starting to look like one of those all time great NBA teams. And you know surprising news actually I you know I did read uh, today that Vegas has now got the Rockets as the favorites. They've got them as the favorites over the Golden State Warriors. And if there's one thing we know about Vegas, Vegas does, does not take these things lightly. Of course, they are not the hot take people. They are going to do their research. They are going to get things down to a T as far as analyzing and making predictions. So this is not some hot take from, you know, from, from Vegas, and this is not some hot take from the national media that is really looking to make the Rock, is saying, is saying the Rockets are better than the Warriors. You know, of course, you know, two 15-plus win streaks, that, that provides legitimacy on its own. But... You know, you look at you look at the play of the Rockets during this, and I mean, there. You look at James Harden. James Harden right now, in his PER, that which is a player efficiency rating, which basically takes all the positive stats and basically analyzes them and makes it a makes it a clear. It's a clear playing field basically to analyze. Uh, you know, different players. It doesn't really take into account the minutes per played uh, played. It's really about their efficiency on the court and all the positive things that they're doing. So right now. If you look at the all-time highest uh, uh, player efficiency ratings, Wilt Chamberlain has the two best in the season at, I believe, uh, north of 30, uh, 31.7. Uh, Michael Jordan is next on that list. I think he's in 31.4, uh, I believe. And then you look at LeBron James. LeBron James had an all-time great season, and they were all in the 31s as far as that player efficiency rating goes. James Harden? James Harden during this streak is north of 35 so right now you have and during this stretch, which is a 17 game stretch, if he were to do this all season long, and especially through the re- for the rest of the regular season, which I think is very possible at this point, and if the Rockets win tonight, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to break their team record of the 22 straight wins. But James Harden is not only the all time best during this stretch; it's he's the best by a long shot. So James Harden is playing arguably the best basketball of of course of his career. And the best basketball that we've really ever seen in the NBA at this point, as far as often, uh, offensive efficiency goes. So you you look you take into account all these things. Not to mention, of course, Chris Paul, another playmaker. You know these guys thrive in isolation ball, but they're really showing that they can do it with you know with ball movement, which is something that you do need to beat the Golden State Warriors. And I know the knock right now on the Rockets is saying that they do play too much iso ball which the Warriors do have some of the best defenders in the league. 
and have shown a tendency to shut down teams that play ISO ball. But 35 games, 35 games Clint Capella, James Harden, and Chris Paul have taken into or have played together, and they're 34-1. and one. That's not a small sample size. That is a legitimate litmus test right there for the rest of the regular season. And not to mention, you're expecting if the Rockets have home court advantage against the Golden State Warriors, you're going to tell me that four out of seven after their 34-1 and one so far in this season, that the Warriors are going to be able to beat them four out of seven times? You know, I've been I've been preaching it for, for weeks, and of course, you know, it might have been the hot take at one point, but I really don't think that it is anymore. I think the Rockets are the favorites, and I and I think that of course you're starting to see that with Vegas starting to give the Rockets the you know starting to make the Rockets the favorites. But 34 and one is not a small sample size. It is a legitimate. It's a very very big litmus test, of course, for what they've been able to do for the, against the regular season, and they've passed. They passed with flying color, colors. You know the teams. The teams that they—they're not only beating these teams; they're blowing them out during the during the 17 game win streak. I believe their point differential is over 11 points during that, and they're playing legitimate playoff teams. As we stated before, the Bucks, the Celtics, and uh, the Celtics, and then of course the Raptors tonight, as well as OKC. Those are all likely to be playoff teams. The only one that might not be is, of course, the Oklahoma City Thunder, but. Again, that you know, Oklahoma City is one of the toughest places to play in the league. Not to mention, they have the reigning MVP as well as Paul George and Carmelo Anthony on their team, two, uh, three legitimate superstars. And the Rockets are just going in there and handling business. And you know, of course, they're not staying in the national media, but the Rockets are 100% focused on beating the Warriors. So you know, of course, they're they're going to have full attention on each game, game to game. But their number one priority at this point is beating the Golden State Warriors. So if they get there. And, you know, like I said, I can't imagine the Rockets losing more than two or three games looking at their schedule. This is, again, this week is absolutely tough, absolutely the most, uh, you know, the toughest stretch of games that the Rockets have on the season. But if they win today, I mean, my goodness, I, I really just can't see them losing. Or, and, of course, you can never account there, you know, there are injuries that happen. Uh, game to game, guys are not on. But, I mean, again, the thirty, the thirty-five games when they are thirty-four and one with those three players together. I mean that that's sh- I mean that should that should be proof in itself. I mean that's thirty-five games. That's not that's not ten games. It's not even the seventeen games. That is thirty-five games. So at this point, I mean, I think you're hard pressed to say that the Rockets aren't the favorites. And I think I think Vegas going out on a limb, doing all the analytics, and saying that the Rockets are the favorites at this point. I, I just I truly believe that I mean come playoff time, these Rockets are not going to fall apart like people are expecting them to. Of course, uh, again tonight possible finals matchup. So I mean it is going to be exciting. Uh, this is probably going to be an intense playoff like atmosphere. But I think your Rockets are up to the test. I think you're going to see them go out there and do what they've been doing. And as as James Harden said, they're just going out there having fun. They're out there hooping in his words. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. We'll see if they can continue the play. But this Rockets team is for real. Three weeks from yesterday, we are or we are three weeks removed from yesterday to, for opening day. I think I said that right. Okay. But anyway, uh, on Thursday, March 28th, of course, the season kicks off in Arlington for the Houston Astros. Uh, Going to go out there and try and defend that na- uh, World Series title. Um, you know, of course, a lot of, a lot of people are saying, you know, the Astros, you know, are, the people are suspect of the Astros having that possible World Series hangover, but... Dallas Keuchel, the one of the Astros' top uh, top pitchers, of course, uh, started opening day for him the last three years. 
uh, ruffled some feathers, uh, saying that, of course, the Astros are not the Cubs and that there will be no World Series hangover. Uh, of course, the Cubs last year uh, had a little bit of a hangover. They were about five and a half games out of the NL Central lead after the All-Star break. Really came down to the last day of the season for the, for the Cubs to get into the playoffs, and they did end up getting in and going all the way to the NLCS, but they were eventually, uh, being, I believe, beaten in five games by the Los Angeles Dodgers. But Dallas Keuchel came out, and he wasn't shy. He said that the Astros are not the Cubs, that there's not going to be a World Series hangover, that the Astros are focused are focused on next year. And, you know, I'm going to give the Cubs a little bit of a break as far as the World Series hangover goes last year. Uh, you know, we all love our Houston Astros, and this was a ginormous event for the Houston Astros to win the World Series in the city of Houston. But the fact is that the Cubs World Series was a little bit different. It was covered a little bit differently by the national media. The Cubs had a little bit more publicity than the Houston Astros had because I, I believe... If you look at the Cubs World Series parade last year, I think it was one of the one of the uh, largest gathering of peaceful uh, a peaceful you know gathering of people in the history of in the history of the world. And of course, that's not including I think political uh, political events and things like that. But the Cubs had a lot. Of, I feel like they had a lot more pressure on them. Not to mention the Cubs were actually losing their starting center fielder among other players, Araldis Chapman, one of their closers. They lost to free agency. So. The Astros have the luxury of not having the the national attention, and there still is a lot of national attention. There's a lot of pressure, but they don't have quite the same pressure that the Cubs had as well. The biggest thing that we've been talking about in the last few weeks is that the Astros have shown something that the Cubs, among other defending World Series champions, have shown the, the Astros have shown the ability that they haven't, which is getting better in the offseason. Of course, we've highlighted it, and we had uh, Robert Ford on, the voice of the Houston Astros, Last week, um, you know, and we were talking a little bit about some of the additions that the Houston Astros made in the locker room atmosphere to this point. And he said it's all business at this point. You know, the Astros are focused on next year. Of course, they're you know they're they're static coming off their World Series victory. You know that that's you know obviously something to be celebrated. But at this point, they're in spring training, and they're focused on they're focused on next year. And you know, with the addition of Garrett Cole, you know, which we've been talking about in previous weeks. It, you know, it's really added just a whole nother dynamic to this Houston Astros, this Houston Astros locker room. It, you know, it's shown a confidence in them that, hey, we're going to get better. You know, we're not going to sit back and be complacent with one World Series win. And I'm not saying that that's what the Cubs, you know, the Cubs or any previous World Series champion were doing. It just seems that the Astros are, you know, ma- you know, going to make an effort to make sure that, that, you know, they do everything in their power, you know, for that not to happen. And of course, things happen during the season. Injuries happen, and you know you can't really, you can't really attribute injuries to a World Series hangover. But at this point, I mean, on paper, I, I mean, I can't see this team, you know, making it taking a step back because, of course, there's going to be players within the lineups that are not, in the lineup that are not going to have as good a year as they had last year. I, you know, I fully expect Carlos Correa to, to make the next step into becoming honestly the face of baseball, and I fully expect Jose Altuve to repeat what he does ne- or what he's going to do next year, but. You know the Astros' starting rotation last year was definitely a strong, uh, definitely a strong point for him. And the fact is that at, they've just gotten a lot deeper at this point with the rotation. So if you start to see guys that are not doing as well, you know Garrett Cole isn't performing the way he should. It's easy for the Astros to plug in a Brad Peacock or a Colin McHugh. And you know I, I really at this point, barring you know a complete epic collapse for a lot of these players or for most of these players, I just can't see a World Series hangover happening. 
but that, that was interesting news of course and you know you you love to see that out of Dallas Keuchel one of your you know one of your team leaders coming out and saying that and showing the confidence uh but again you know I, I'll give the Cubs a pass for last year and you know it's it's making the playoffs in baseball it, playoffs in baseball is definitely the hardest playoffs of all the major sports to make uh you know there's you know of course there's not that many teams that make it there is the play in wild card game but for the Cubs to get back to the National League Championship Series last year, that's no small feat. You know that that was that was very impressive, and they, you know, of course, they definitely weren't the team they were two years ago. But you know, that's de- definitely not something to take lightly. Now, as we uh, as I mentioned in the starting, the Astros look like they have the next superstar on the way. And if you, if you listened in last week, uh, you know, we talked a little bit with Robert Ford about it. But the Astros have the next superstar in the making, and I think here before the All Star break. The Astros' next starting left fielder might be one of the best players on the team. Kyle Tucker, the Astros' top prospect, and I believe he's the number 15 prospect in all of baseball at this point, has continued his spring training tear. Kyle Tucker is now in the spring training, in spring training with the big leaguers. He's now batting 400 with four home runs, 10 RBIs, and a 1343 OPS. This guy is looking like he's going to be the real deal. This kid, uh, and you know, if you listen last week, we talked with Robert Ford, and the players in the clubhouse have already given him a nickname, Ted, as in Ted Williams. That's how good they expect this kid to be. The hype behind this kid is on par with that of George Springer and Carlos Correa. And at this point, I, I really don't expect him to disappoint. Now, he's not going to start off on the big league roster. Um, that's already been announced at this point. The Astros have shown a history of liking to, you know, liking or wanting to bring guys up uh, after the Super 2 date, which the Super 2 date basically means that, you know, for, for a player for his first five or six years, if I'm not mistaken, he is under team control. Um, so basically, they can't, you know, they're not going to become free agents or anything like that. So if the Astros wait to bring him up on a Super 2 date, they basically get an extra year where they can control him. And so they did it with George Springer. They did it with Carlos Correa. They did it with Alex Bregman. So uh, th- that'll happen. I'm not, I don't believe that they've actually released what that Super 2, uh, Super two date is yet. But when that, comes, when that happens and he comes up, this is probably your immediately your he immediately steps in and probably starts his starting left field barring some type of epic collapse in the minors where of course if he's not showing that he's ready but this kid looks like the real deal at this point and you know it's hard at this point it's hard to come by guys that are you know that what we call five tool where of course they do everything and, and they excel at everything but this kid is is something else he's left-handed he's left-handed Kind of got an unorthodox swing, and of course, if you know, a lot of the Astros games have been televised this uh, this uh, spring training. So if you haven't had a chance to watch them, I believe they'll be playing at 5:05 today again on a Friday, and it, I would fully expect to see him in the lineup. And I mean, this kid is left-handed, and the thing the thing in baseball is it's just it's it's very it's very different when you see these guys left-handed and that are uh, you know able to hit the ball the opposite way. And this kid does it with ease. I mean, he is hitting home runs all over the field. Not to mention, of course, like I said, he excels at everything else. So I fully expect, you know, come playoffs, this is going to be your, Kyle Tucker is going to be your starting left fielder. He's going to be the next huge Astros superstar. And on top of that, I think he's going to be batting number two in the lineup against a right-handed pitcher. So you're going to see Kyle Tucker squeeze between George Springer and Jose Altuve in the lineup come playoffs, in my opinion. And that's just really going to be another another dimension to this Houston Astros team. And, and going back to it, another reason why I fully expect them not to have that World Series hangover. 
So it's going to be fun. This year is, I mean, of course, like I said, three weeks from yesterday, we are until uh, until opening day against the Texas Rangers. Um, and then, of course, uh, the following Monday is going to be the opening day in Houston where they're going to unveil the World Series banner. And then on Tuesday, they're actually going to be handing out the World Series rings. So if you have a chance to go, of course, I know everybody will be watching, but I'm sure that atmosphere is going to be electric in there. And really, at this point, the thing I'm looking forward to most in the Houston Astros season is May 1st through 3rd. That is when the Astros face the Yankees. And we've been talking about it all in the past previous in the previous shows that, you know, there has been a lot of banner that's gone back back and forth between the Astros and the Yankees. Uh, Chris Rousseau, one of the, you know, one of the more uh, more popular baseball analysts stated that the Yankees should be the favorite at this point. And most of the Yankees seem to back that up and say, yeah, he's right. Uh, much to the uh, much to the chagrin, I guess, of the Houston Astros, and uh, really Justin Verlander, moreover, was really a little little deterred by those comments. So he had some, you know, he had some choice words, of course, for people saying that the Yankees are the favorites. But you know, the Astros have eliminated the Yankees in the last in their last two playoff appearances. So uh, not to mention, of course, that epic seven game series where you know tensions were very very high in that series. Uh, the Astros eventually pulled it out in seven games, but May first through third. That is going to be the first time that the Astros and Yankees face off. The Yankees, making with the addition of Giancarlo Stanton, now have Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Gary Sanchez, uh, Didi Gregorius, among other names. The Yankees are going to absolutely mash the cover off the ball. They, as far as far as what their lineup looks like, top to bottom, it's scary. But I still fully expect the Astros to be the favorite the favorites at this point. But I think I think you're going to see some tension between uh, between the Astros and Yankees because I really believe that is the next big rivalry in baseball. And at this point, if you had if you had to play pay, place the odds on favorites, I'd, it's probably Astros Yankees one two as far as the favorites go for uh, World Series. So that could be another preview, of course, of the ALCS, which we saw last year. But these two teams are you know they're not rebuild they're not in the rebuilding phase that they were a few years ago. They're in the reloading phase. So you saw, you, of course, the Yankees with the addition of Giancarlo Stanton and the Astros with the addition of Garrett Cole. It's going to be fun. It is going to be really, really fun to see what happens. And not to mention that uh, that May 1st game, that's actually on a Tuesday, which the Astros announced that Dollar Hot Dog Night actually got moved from Wednesday to Tuesday. So interesting side note, you know, May 1st, it's a Tuesday night. Uh, it's going to be an electric atmosphere, and you're going to have Dollar Hot Dogs out there. So uh, Yankees always seem to travel well, so of course we'll talk about it a little closer when it gets here. But we need to make sure and you know outroot those Yankees and you know remind them who the defending World Series champions are. So, going to be fun. Of course, got a lot of topics for the Astros to talk about in the coming weeks, but we're getting close. We are getting close, and it seems crazy to say that since we're only about three or four months removed from that World Series Game Seven. But it's going to be exciting, fun times in Houston right now. Trina Gurry, who was on a few weeks ago with us, she's going to be back on next week. So make sure everybody tunes into that um, as well. I think we're going to have a special guest on, uh, having talking a little bit about concussions and such. So uh, until we lock that down, I won't announce that. But of course, uh, we have been talking a little bit about Houston sports. Rockets, Astros are you know clicking on all cylinders. It looks like uh, one team we really haven't talked about in a while is the Houston Texans. Uh, of course, the the NFL draft is coming up here in a few weeks. Uh, a lot of, you know, as we've stated before, a lot of reasons for the Texans, uh, Texans fans and Texans in general to be really excited about this year. J.J. Uh, Watt, though, uh, he released an interesting video on Instagram running sprints right alongside Deshaun Watson. So starting to look like both of those guys are going to be back full, uh, uh, you know, be back 100 percent. 
Uh, a lot of people weren't sure, of course, if Deshaun Watson was going to be ready for training camp. But as we stated in the past, you know, he's shown the ability. He's shown the ability to come back from these ACL tears. Uh, he had one when he was at Clemson, came back, actually played on the on the torn ACL for a game before uh, electing to have the surgery. But he was still. That was the last game of the season, I believe, at, at Clemson when that happened. I believe it was his sophomore year, and he returned and started every game the next year. Started the next sixteen games, I believe. Uh, for Clemson so Deshaun Watson I, you know we're not worried about the injuries of course J.J. Watt is a little bit different you know he's had season ending injuries now I think two times in the last three seasons so you know it's it's a little bit different you know especially when you're dealing with back injuries and things like that for an elite defender um, such as J.J. Watt a guy that you know is so explosive so of course, we, you know, we all hope he comes back 100%, but, you know, it's it, we are, of course, a little tentative with that. And w- regardless, whatever capacity he comes back, even if he's not the defensive player of the year that he was a few years ago, just having that emotional, you know, boost, that, that team leader, that presence in the locker room is going to be huge. And so some things that happen, of course, we've been talking, you know, really the Texans, you know, three biggest needs going into, the, going into this free agency, secondary, offensive line and since cj Fedorowicz got you know went out the uh, texans starting tight end looks like his career is likely over uh really tight end is another is another position that the texans really need to address but this free agency just became a lot more interesting breaking news today it was announced that richard sherman sherman the all pro and very outspoken cornerback for the seattle seahawks is likely to be released this week now, we stated in the past, of course, the Texans' biggest need is definitely offensive line. Got to keep Deshaun Watson upright. And the Texans' offensive line did show some encouraging progress uh, last year. Um, and, of course, Deshaun Watson has the ability to escape the pocket and really take the, uh, you know, take the emphasis off the offensive line. But this free agency class for the offensive line is not the strongest, and the draft class is, is even weaker. But... You look at the secondary now in the free agent market that's that there's going to be out there. There's guys like their Malcolm Butler, who is the uh, he didn't start in the Super Bowl for the Patriots for some odd reason, uh, you know, of course. But he, he this past year he played over 98 percent of snaps for the New England Patriots. Really, one of the best young cornerbacks in all of football. Uh, now there's going to be Richard Sherman on the market as well as Tremaine Johnson. Uh, Prince of Mukamara. These are these are big name guys. These are big name secondary guys that can immediately step in and make an impact. And as we stated before, Texans have over fifty six million dollars this offseason to spend. So they have got money to spend. They can go out there. They can get the guys that they want. And of course, they lost a lot of guys to free agency. But really, really, they didn't lose any big names. Now they've got it. They've definitely got to get some depth. And I'm sure. And I'm sure a lot of that money is going to go to that. But there's guys out there in the secondary that they can go out there and make an immediate impact. As well, you look at the offensive line, and as we stated, it's not it's not a strong uh, free agency class for the offensive linemen. But there are names out there that are going to make that can make the Texans immediately better, and of course keep Deshaun Watson upright. Now, you know, again, like I said, the 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 Texans offensive line, I don't think is as as much of a glaring weakness as you know the rest of the national media and of course local media seems to think with the Texans I think the Texans offensive line showed the ability to get a lot better uh showed the ability to get a lot better in the offseason or or, uh, towards the second half of the season and as well Deshaun Watson definitely want to keep him upright but Deshaun Watson's really not that guy that's going to get sacked a whole lot he's very good at avoiding contact 
And, you know, he did have the season-ending injury, but that was a non-contact injury during practice. So, of course, you never, you know, you always want to keep your young quarterback upright. But, there, you know, and while this free agency offensive line class is not the best, I think there's guys that they could go out there and that can make an immediate impact. You look at guys like Nate Soldier, the, left, the former left tackle for the New England Patriots, Justin Pugh, another really, really good guard uh, for the Giants who really would be considered a top-notch free agent if he wasn't, if it hadn't been that he missed six games last year uh, due to injury. And then we, you look at the tight end position. There is one name out there that, of course, everybody is very, very focused on, and that's Jimmy Graham. Everybody knows Jimmy Graham from his days with, uh, you know, with the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, breaking records out there with, with Drew Brees before being traded to the Seattle Seahawks, where he did de- definitely make an impact, not as big an impact as he made in, in, uh, in New Orleans. But there's names out there for the Texans to get immediately better. And, re- of course, they, the Texans, of course, have been overshadowed by, you know, by the, the Rockets and the Astros. But even without any additions, this team is scary. This team is scary good. And they really, next year, it looks like they're going to have probably one of the easiest schedules in the NFL so even without any additions, I think this is a playoff team. But the Texans have $56 million that they can spend in the offseason. And they, you know, they can go out there and they can immediately get better and get the guys that they need to push them over the top. Now, they're not going to have any first-round picks. I don't even think they're going to have any second-round picks just because, of course, the trade for Deshaun Watson. But you know, if the, if the, if the Texans go out there and they add a guy like Nate Soldier on the, on the offensive line, you know, that guy, of course, is going to be another leader. Uh, and the Texans' offensive line is very young. And they it's very young, and it really showed a lot of improvement in the second half. So you add a veteran like that who can, you know, who can, you know, really lead this group of off, this group of young offensive linemen. Keep, you know, keep Deshaun Watson upright. And, you know, Nate Soldier, of course, has learned from the best. I mean, he, he's been protecting the best for the last, you know, eight or nine years being in New England with Tom Brady. Then you, of course, you look at the secondary, and if they can add a guy like Malcolm Butler, who is ideal, and he is going to get a lot of money, but even if it's not a Malcolm Butler, if it's a guy like Tremaine Johnson or Prince Amukamara, that right there is going to is going to you know really fix one of the one of the glaring weaknesses with the Houston Texans, and not to mention that this draft this draft class it is while not deep in offensive linemen, uh, it is deep in a lot of other positions. It's very deep at the defensive position. Uh, linebackers, defensive linemen. So the Texans have the ability that they can get better. They can get better on uh, defense. Um, and of course, they you know the running game I think is going to be just fine next year with Deontay Foreman and uh, uh, of course um, Lamar Miller. So at this point, I feel like the Texans are very very close to becoming one of those elite teams in the NFL. And you know, of course, Bill O'Brien I believe is one of the better coaches in the NFL. And as we stated before, this is this is make it or break it for him. But even the national media, uh, there there's a very uh, popular writer out there that I, I kind of saw the other day that had Bill O'Brien rated in the in the upper tier as far as coaches go. And you know, if you go back to last year, you, when the Texans really took off with Deshaun Watson, that's when that's when Bill O'Brien took over the play calling. You know, he showed the ability to adapt and put these guys in positions that they needed to be to you know to be successful. And they definitely didn't, of course, they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they had, of course, a lot of injuries. J.J. Watt going down, Whitney Merciless, you know, guys that they expect to be back next year, and uh, not to mention, of course, Deshaun Watson. But, you know, you look at the, you look at the quarterback-wide receiver duo, 
DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson, that arguably is going to be the, be one of the best duos that we see for years to come. The offensive line showed that they could evolve as well. There are guys out there that I fully expect them to go pursue to get better. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball. The Texans are an elite de- defensive team outside of the secondary. The defensive line anchored down, of course, by J.J. Watt and uh, J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney. You know, uh, they you know they shed themselves of uh, of of uh, Brian Cushing, but you know the the inside linebacking core really showed the ability to get better throughout the year. And you know, once they you know all they really need to address on the defensive side of the ball is a secondary. And fortunately, as we stated before, the Texans have some of the you know have arguably the most money to spend in the offseason at $56 million, which is a lot of money to go out there and find players, especially in the NFL. So they can go out there and they can really pursue the top free agent guys, any guy that they want, they, they have the money to go get. And as, as we stated, this is a very, very strong secondary free agency class. And it's filled, it's filled with guys that can immediately step in and make a difference. So look for the Texans, of course, to make, uh, make some type of splash, whether it's a Malcolm Butler or Richard Sherman, um, and then I fully expect them to, you know, to try and gain some depth on the offensive line. And then also another wild card to keep an eye on is uh, Jimmy Graham. And then uh, uh, as well, another, t- uh, another uh, tight end out there, Tyler Eifert, another guy that was a first round pick a few years ago. So there's guys that the, that the Texans can go out there and have make an immediate impact on the team. So this is going to be a very, very interesting next couple of weeks to see what happens with what the Texans plan to do with this money. And, you know whether or not they do something. This is still a playoff team, in my opinion. But the thing you got to be most ecstatic over is, you know, seeing that video of JJ Watt and Deshaun Watson go out there doing sprints, showing that they are they are recovered. So going so going into next year, uh, keep an eye on these Texans. That you know, of course, like I said, they've been overshadowed by by the Rockets and Astros. But this this is a playoff team, and this this next year. This might be their year to, to finally go out there and make a push for the Super Bowl in one of, arguably one of the best divisions in football, but I fully expect them with their schedule and the level of talent that they have to go out there and compete. Some interesting news coming out of the NBA uh, reported today that LeBron James has narrowed his free agency choices down to four teams. Now, again, that can all change uh, with the offseason. I mean, what teams do. But right now, he's got four teams on his radar that LeBron James is thinking about going to next year. So, of course, got the Cavs at number one that he's that he's considering uh, returning. Then you got the Lakers. Then you got the Philadelphia 76ers. And drum roll, or drum roll, his final choice that he might come to as far as free agency, the Houston Rockets. So... Starting to look like a LeBron James might be on the move. Now the Cavs are now seven and four since their major overhaul. Where, you know, we we talked about it with Trina when she had it was on a few weeks ago. The Cavs, of course, were not performing at the level that you're used to seeing them uh, perform at. So they made a huge overhaul, trading away guys like Dwayne Wade, uh, Derrick Rose, among other guys, uh, to and replace them with younger guys: Rodney Hood, uh, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance and George Hill. So they have gone 7 and 4 since that major overhaul, which is still probably not quite where LeBron James wants to be being the, you know, one of the guys that you're just used to seeing in the finals year in and year out. But they're 7 and 4 and we talked about it in the past with that trade, the the Cavaliers really set themselves up not to have a whole lot of flexibility as far as personnel goes here in the next few years. So 
the Cavaliers team that you see right now is likely the team that you're going to see for the next few years, uh, especially if LeBron James stays with them. So LeBron James does have a player option next year to pick a, a player option where he can choose to stay with Cavs for, I believe, $35 million now. With the uh, you know with the new CBA bargaining agreement and everything, uh, the salary cap or the the maximum contracts that these guys can make is going to continue to skyrocket. So, uh, fully expect him to opt out of that and of course choose between those four teams at, to this point that he's chosen. At this point, I don't see him returning to the Cavaliers because there there's two things that are important for LeBron James at this point, and they're obvious. He wants to compete for a championship and he wants to get paid. When we saw LeBron James in the years past, when he went to Miami, he was willing to take a pay cut. But it seems like within these last few years, you see guys, relatively unknown guys like Mike Conley, uh, point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, set a record for the biggest contract of all time. But LeBron James has stated that he wants to be a billion-dollar athlete. He wants to be paid at this point. So those are two very important things. He wants to go compete for a championship, and he wants to get paid. He wants to get paid the most amount of money that he think that he can make. So at this point, nobody can expect LeBron James to go somewhere and take a pay cut like he did with Miami. And that right there is why I don't think that the Rockets are going to be major contenders for him anymore. Next year, the Rockets are on the books to for over eighty million dollars in eighty million dollars. And right now, the salary cap is at one hundred and twelve million, if I'm not mistaken. And the luxury tax makes it go all the way up to one hundred and nineteen million dollars. So the Astros, or I mean, the Rockets are on uh, on the books for eighty million dollars next year, and the thing is that that doesn't include guy. Chris Paul is going to be a free agent again next year. Clint Capella will be a free agent next year. Trevor Ariza, Luke Baumute. So a lot of these guys that have really contributed to the success of the Rockets are not on the books right now, and the Rockets already have eighty million dollars that they're paying to other guys that are not them. So. That being said, of course, James Harden is on the books for about thirty million dollars next year. I, I highly doubt you're going to see LeBron. I mean, you're going to see James Harden take any type of pay cut, which he may. He may take some type of pay cut. Of course, the Rockets are going to look to move Ryan Anderson. Uh, Ryan Anderson is a book, is on the books to make twenty million dollars next year, which is just a ridiculous amount of money for a guy that is, you know, not performing to the level that they thought. Now he's still an important cog on this team, but. I just don't expect them to try, or, or I don't. They've already been showing signs that they want to move him and get rid of that twenty million dollars. But that being said, if they were to get LeBron James, you know, one of those one of those guys between Chris Paul, James Harden, and him are going to have to take a pay cut. And on top of that, since they're already on the books for eighty million dollars, this Rockets team is not going to have any bench whatsoever if they get LeBron James. So, you know, of course, the idea of LeBron James in here with James with James Harden. Uh, Chris Paul um, is, I mean, it's exciting, but the fact is, you know, Clint Capella is likely to get a max deal, I believe, in the offseason, and I, I fully expect the Rockets to pursue and try and get him back. And of course, you would definitely, tra- if it was just a straight up trade, you know, James Harden, or, I mean, uh, LeBron James for uh, Clint Capella, you know, of course, you'd do that in a heartbeat, but uh, the fact is, like, th- th- there's just there's just too much money there, and there's just, n- you know, the Rockets really just don't have enough, in my opinion to get LeBron James. So that leaves it down. And of course, for me, that leaves it to the 76ers and the Los Angeles Lakers, as far as who is going to land, uh, who is going to land LeBron James. And I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the 76ers, the 76ers, um, salary cap, salary space looks like, 
you know, they've got young players, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, the number one overall pick this past year who hasn't really uh, played at all, Markel Fultz. So that's another that's another option. And then you've got the Los Angeles Lakers, who are just as young, if not younger, not to mention that the Los Angeles Lakers are going to have well over $70 million in cap space next year to spend. So if it's the same amount of young talent, it's the same amount of money if he's going to get paid no matter which way he goes. I mean, it's it, then it comes down to, is it Los Angeles or is it Philadelphia? And, you know, I'm, I'm with Trina. Trina, uh, Trina Gorey, who was on a few weeks ago, said, said that she believed LeBron was going to the Lakers. And at this point, after hearing all this, I think he's going to be going to Los Angeles next year. Especially not to mention that this young Lakers team has really emerged in the last few weeks. Lonzo Ball, who has been the center of the media and media's attention with his very outspoken father, has really come into his own as of late. He's, uh, you know, he's uh, he was shooting the ball well under forty percent from the field, and I think he was shooting a three ball for well under thirty three percent. Those those statistics have skyrocketed here in the last few weeks, and I think a guy like Lonzo Ball and LeBron James can really really mesh together very well. Because Lonzo Ball is not the type of point guard that that needs to shoot. He is a guy that facilitates and gets guys open. So you have guys that can slash through the rain, uh, slash through the lane, and probably this time next year, LeBron James and Lonzo Ball both would be considered uh, two of the top ten passers in the NBA. So I think that's going to be very very appealing for LeBron James. Not to mention, as we said, they're going to have seventy million dollars in cap space next year, and. LeBron James, let's say he's going to make somewhere north of $30 million uh, next year with the Lakers, or if he goes to wherever he goes, he'll make 30-plus $30 million. That still leaves them enough money to sign another guy the Lakers can. And the the name that you're really hearing connected with the Lakers at this point is Paul George, who's in Oklahoma City right now. So Paul George has stated for a long time he wants to be in Los Angeles, and he's not he's not been a guy that's been obnoxious about it. That's come out there and, and demanded to trade to Los Angeles. He's just made it clear that when he when free agency comes, the the team that's going to be at the top of his list is Los Angeles. It's his hometown, and you know he would love to play there. Not to mention that LeBron James and Paul George are guys that have worked out in the offseason together. They're guys that really really like each other. So. That is going to be the interesting thing, of course, to see in the offseason. And again, LeBron James and Chris Paul, those those two guys are really, really good friends. They're best friends. But really, the only way that I can see LeBron James in a Rockets uniform next year, or for it to really make sense for him to come to the Rockets next year, is if either James Harden or Chris Paul are willing to take a major pay cut. Because the fact is, if, if the Rockets were to get LeBron James, which they could, you know, knowing Daryl Morey, the Rockets general manager, they really could, they could, he probably could work something out to get them all together, but you're going to be parting ways with guys like, of course, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, Clint Capella. So they are going to, it's going to be, it's going to be James Harden. It's going to be Chris Paul. It's going to be LeBron James. And then it's going to be all no names from there. So that being said, of course, like I said, I, I think at this point it's between the 76ers and the Los Angeles Lakers. And at this point, it just makes way too much sense for uh, LeBron James, you know, not or it doesn't make any sense for him to go to Philadelphia, in my opinion, a team that's very young and is likely going to have the money. But the more enticing option at this point has got to be Los Angeles. It's Los Angeles. And LeBron James is a guy that has his own brand that once that's very marketable not to mention, he started. He was in a movie a few years ago. So, I mean, this guy has you know has shown an interest well beyond basketball, 
And while he wants to compete for a championship every year, he's probably going to have the same, you know, the same amount of money, whether it's, whether it's with Philadelphia or Los Angeles. But the fact is that Los Angeles will be a much more talented team. And even if they don't land another superstar like Paul George in the offseason, they're going to have the money to go out here and after, after next year, guys like Kawhi Leonard, all these other guys are going to be available, are going to be available and the Lakers are going to have the money to go out and get these guys. So at this point, I think, yeah, I'm jumping on the LeBron to LA train at this point. And I think, you know, I'm not sure that that makes them better than the Rockets or the Warriors. But although LeBron does want to compete for a championship at this point, I really don't think it's the same thing that it was when he left from Miami where it was all, he, he was completely focused on getting a championship. At this point, I think LeBron is interested in competing for championships and, of course, getting paid. Getting paid, and then on top of that, it's just, I mean, being in Los Angeles is just going to boost uh, his, you know, his brand. So, going to be very interesting, of course. We'll see what the Cavs do, of course, if, if they ever come back, um, you know, and get it together. Might, might see him back in Cleveland. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. I want to thank everybody out there for tuning in. Make sure you tune in next week. Uh, Trina is going to be back on with us. We'll talk a little bit basketball, but again, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.